a virgin tired of waiting on when his girlfriend is ready agrees to a night out in Hollywood with his friends. He ends up scoring with a sultry, centuries-old vampire who needs virgin blood to stay young. Hello, everyone. I'm Caleb Leger. I'm Connor Izagari. Welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bad. Today, we'll be talking about the early Jim Carrey starring horror comedy, Once Bitten, a very 80s film, and we will get into that, which seemed to underperform at the box office and be dismissed by critics. Um, it has since uh, its release gone on to attain a cult following. Mm, a lot to do with the fact that this is one of Jim Carrey's very early, actually his first leading role um, in Hollywood. So that I think has a large chunk to do with it. Um, on that note, I'll shoot over to my buddy Connor for those scores and... Uh, begin this discussion once bitten sitting at a 10 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes and a 39 percent audience score no critics consensus because not enough people have bothered to revisit this one and i get it it's not the best movie i mean i liked it a, a bit more than you i had fun with it those elements and you know it I won't say necessarily like it's just it's just happens to eighties films, right? It happens to a lot of old films, and you know times change, things you know age better than you know some things age fine, other things don't. Um, there's a lot of isms that were going around the eighties though, <laughs> that were prevalent in movies that did not age well, and this film is admittedly kind of filled with a lot of that stuff. Um. So when I say like I liked it, it's akin to when I say people like when I tell people like Revenge of the Nerds, right? That's kind of my one of my go-to examples. Do I still find Revenge of the Nerds a funny to be a fun movie? Yes. Am I aware that it's aged in certain aspects terribly? Also, yes. I'm very aware of a certain scene with a certain nerd tricking a certain woman into uh you know being her boyfriend and he is not. Ugh. Yeah, I understand that. There's a lot of aspects of certain 80s movies that you have to kind of not ignore, but put aside to enjoy the film. And with Once Bitten, it was like, it had that, but also I just didn't really think it was that funny. I just didn't really like the movie for the movie. It had very little to do with, with that. I just I found that distasteful, but overall I just found the film just like easy to dismiss. Wow. You changed. This show changed you. Not really. Actually, I've, I've been pretty consistent. So you say. No, it, I mean, look, it's not, especially if you're like comparing this. And what the, you know, this is a good, decent segue to my question that came up, which actually was an easier thought for my question than I probably had for most weeks. Um, but I mean, obviously, if you're looking in the canon of Jim Carrey thing, of Jim Carrey's filmography, is it his funniest? Obviously, no. Like, he would obviously go on to hone what, you know, as a well known fact, he kind of honed his craft on um, Living Color. Thank you. There you go. Uh, when he got the gig on there, and that's where a lot of his physical comedy came into power, like, got honed and became known and, you know, led to a very successful film career um, that he's maintained for a while now. I mean, let's be honest. When you say Jim Carrey, almost everyone knows who you're talking about. 
Um, but it's also like it's the historical aspect of certain that this is his first leading role. Like you're seeing like a like a guy he was like 23 when he did this movie. So you're seeing a very young in his prime Jim Carrey. There are some, you know, someone who is very much struggling with their Canadian accent and <laughs> is showing elements of the comedy. There's a certain scene I will say for like rewards later that kind of you get a little bit of the hand that physical comedy that he would become so well known for, you know, later in his career. So in that aspect, it's cool to see and see like that part like oh it's an early Jim Carrey but you know obviously this isn't going to be like his best work you know he was just starting out that's true that's true and he is you know he's he's far from the worst thing about this movie he's he's trying he's doing his thing and yeah he does get better he gets to try out more characters on in living color including the legendary fire marshal bill just some of the funniest shit ever look that up if you haven't seen that uh it's ridiculous um but yeah obviously you know when Films like Ace Ventura and The Mask and Dumb and Dumber came out and he became the biggest box office star in the world. Obviously, he had a lot more options, a bigger spotlight, and was able to do a lot more. So I'm glad. I've always respected Jim Carrey. I've always found him hilarious. So, yeah, I don't want to – I got no beef with Jim Carrey. Yeah. Even with uh, – you know, I know he had kind of like – he had some kind of like a weird – I would call it middle stretch of his career where it seemed like his personal life was taken over more than his films. Um, And all the, the kind of kooky stuff he was doing – um and obviously you know his it's you know one could argue somewhat controversial take on his type of method acting um that's true yeah um <laughs> i know yeah that that's proven controversial at times but um yeah and hey look i i grew up you know him and him and adam Sandler economies i grew up on um me he was a comedian me and my dad just agreed on when it came to stuff so we, i would watch a lot of his movies with him and we just be laughing our asses off. My mom just sitting there rolling her eyes, like, "Why do you guys find him so funny?" And we're just like, "Cause he's hilarious." Um, to the point that, like, you know, I was sad recently when you know, shortly before Sonic Two came out, and he made the announcement that he was considering about you know retiring and just you know living a peace you know a peaceful rest of his life. You know, I I was sad. You know, I was like, man, when you know these Sonic films, I felt like we finally got him back and like. It's been so refreshing to see him on the big screen again and something successful and he's clearly having fun. But I agree with his statement. He he you know he's done a lot. His legacy is intact. He's one of the clearly one of the greatest comedians of all time. But like I said, bought like his stretch of films early in his career that made him box office gold. It's like unmatched. Um, I get it. Like, yeah, man, you just you of it of all the people working, you definitely deserve the retirement to live a nice peaceful rest of your life absolutely yeah go paint go reminisce occasionally drop the odd weird social media message you do you jim yeah well i, well, I miss seeing him on the big screen absolutely but i get it um on that note that kind of like said a nice little segment in my um question this which i think is gonna be fun obviously we just mentioned he is the leading man of this film so, with that, what are your overall thoughts on good old comedy legend Jim Carrey? A little more detailed thoughts and some of your personal favorites in his filmography. Oh, I've I've always loved Jim Carrey uh, since I was a kid. He's his comedy's hilarious. I was kind of alone on that. My mom always found him kind of annoying, and so I was just kind of on on my own with Jim Carrey. But I never lost faith. Always thought he was funny as shit. My all time favorite to date is still The Mask. I so I good. find that movie just un 
bearably hilarious. It's such a great character. I love that like they were going to the, the, the teeth were going to be CGI, but he was able to talk through these giant teeth and figure out a way to make it look more realistic. I love that. It just adds to the wackiness of the character. Um, Dumb and Dumber is a classic. I always like laugh at that one. That one's just great. I always find little bits of, you know, Jim Carrey doing something stupid that I never noticed. Like every time I watch that, I'm like, what is he doing over there? Um, I've always had a soft spot for the cable guy. Cable guy is underrated. That movie is like so it's dark as shit, but it's funny. Yeah, it's you know, it's a stalker horror movie, but with Jim Carrey. <laughs> so it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I dude, I like I said, you know, kind of like you, like, other than my dad, like none of my other family members like Jim Carrey quite like I did. And it would always crack me up, man. I had an aunt that would sit there and just be like, Oh, he's not funny, he's just he does stupid, he's he's annoying, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, as a girl, I remember thinking like a lot of your stuff she would do to joke around and play with us. I'm like, you are Jim Carrey. Like you do a lot. She would do a lot of like his mannerisms. I'm like, you talk about how much you hate his comedy, but I see a lot of your comedy and his shit. I see like she used to do like an alrighty. Then I'm like, you're quoting Ace Ventura because <laughs> I saw that movie and I know where you're getting that from. So I feel like you secretly liked Jim Carrey, my unnamed aunt who I will not name on the show, but you know, I gotta say, I never really cared for Ace Ventura. I, I, thought that was, I thought that was too much. Oh no, I love Ace Ventura. Again, no one got. Please don't come at me. I understand a lot of people obviously have, you know, a take on the uh, the trans stance in that movie. Oh yeah. Um, but outside of that, I I fucking love Ace Ventura. That shit cracks me up so much. I do love the scene in the sequel where he's coming out of the rhino. Oh my god, that's so that, good. That is one of the funniest bits he ever did it was getting hot in there (laughs) um i love liar liar i think that one's underrated that movie always cracks me up liar liar is great um i love when he uh when he's like you know going through the motions he's pissed he can't lie and some guy calls him and he's like hey uh his secretary's like this guy got held up at the he held up an atm again and needs your legal advice so jim just clears his throat and yells at the phone, stop breaking the law, asshole, and hangs up. <laughs> Without a doubt, the funniest fucking scene of the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've always loved him, uh, Bruce Almighty. I, mean, I love God. Bruce Almighty. I watched that recently, like a couple weeks ago. I love that movie. I was like, that movie is so goddamn good. He is funny as shit in that movie. When he has the meltdown on air, when he doesn't get the anchor position, and he's just like, back to you, fuckers. <laughs> Immediately cuts to him getting thrown out of the building. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's uh, great. I, I believe uh, that Jim Carrey could get the powers of God, and that's exactly what would happen. Oh, yeah. Um, Obviously, there's the holiday classic. Oh. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Like, that, was- the Grinch has an argument for being his greatest performance. Oh, dude, who who would have thought? Like, you know, obviously, you know, it it was so tied to Boris Koloff, right, and his iconic, you know, voice in the original cartoon. Um, and then like Jim Carrey found a way to somehow just make it his own, and just absolutely amazing. Where like he's become like that's one of his most definitive films for a lot of people. It's a Christmas staple now. Yeah, I went and saw it with Colton at a movie theater screening a, a couple weeks ago. We had a great time. Still hilarious. Still, you know, fills a theater. It's it's wonderful. And 
Yeah, I like, you know, Karloff's Grinch was more of a pretty cut and dry villain, kind of just an evil, mean character. But Carrie's Grinch is just kind of a sarcastic dick. I, I love that. I love that well, he's like, just like, he doesn't hate Christmas. He hates the Who's. Yeah, it's great. Well, when I, again, I think what's always made, you know, I think especially when people like, and it's very evident in things like the Grinch and Law of Zoli work, when people are like, he's just a stupid comedy. I'd argue that, okay, if you want a blanket statement, yes. His comedy is not highbrow, right? It's not highbrow at all. But if you want to be more nuanced, no. Like, the way, you know, people forget that, like, he, big chunk of the reason he broke out the way he did was not only his ability to do the things he could do with jokes, but it was the physical aspect. Like, the things that guy could do physically with his body on camera were out of the sport and just aided in the comedy. Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, what what he's able to do in The Grinch, you know, the way he contorts his face, even under all that makeup, is very impressive. And that makeup was so constrictive, he had to, like, undergo, like, Navy SEAL training to, like, like you know, mentally get into a place where he's, like, being buried alive because it was such suffocating makeup. But he went through that. He delivered a great performance and a hilarious character. Oh, yeah. I always love the, I hate, 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 loathe. <laughs> You're in it. You're in it. I always laugh when he he throws Cindy Lou in like the male stamper thing, and like Max tries to get him to stop, and he just goes, he turns around, like groans, and just goes, "Bleeding hearts of the world unite!" Like so pissed at what he's got to do here. I don't know why that always makes me laugh. I guess his delivery, <laughs> it's just perfect. <laughs> oh, dude, I've always laughed, especially when I heard it wasn't like planned that way. When he pulls the fucking sheet off the table, and it's actually supposed to go with it, but he did it, I guess, like fast enough that it didn't move. So his reaction to coming back and knocking it off was genuine. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I read it somewhere that apparently, like they were like when he when he was pulled it, the shit was supposed to go with it, and it didn't. He just he fucking lucked out and poor and everything stayed and so when he went back that was similar to me like oh motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect in character for the grinch um yeah. i know the scene where he's like got the director's cap on and he's like trying to direct max as rudolph that was all made up on the fly as his like way to make fun of ron howard <laughs> and he's just like cut print check the gate moving on like <laughs> he was doing ron howard <laughs> Oh. oh my god yeah no Jim, yeah i think uh i'm with you dumb and dumber has always been one i go back to like all the time i love dumb and dumber because my our bird's heads are blown off i love the the whole you know most annoying sound in the world unscripted bit that almost broke jeff daniels I, the, the weird like i love i read that the scene where he's like leaving the 7-eleven and there's two guys and he's just like hey guys whoa big gulps huh cool well see you later that was unscripted. They were just two guys who wandered onto set and refused to leave. So Jim Carrey just went up to them and was like, hey, guys. <laughs> and it just worked as a great moment in the movie. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It, it's, you know, and you know, obviously we're talking a lot about his comedy, right? And what that guy has done for the comedy, especially, like I said, you know, as a kid, I always kind of put him and Adam Sandler like together, only because, like, they were kind of both rising at the same time and as a kid i was watching both their stuff um i was always i don't know i love a lot of early adam sandler stuff i think he is 
great, regardless of like, you know, obviously what a lot of people think about his more recent efforts. Oh, don't worry. We'll have plenty of opportunities to go into him on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, but I've always preferred Jim Carrey. Like, again, this, it has a lot to do with the physical aspect to it. It just always impressed me. Like I said, with the contorting of his face and the things he could do with his body when he got up and did I'm like, what? How is he able to do this shit? <laughs> yeah. Like, even, his, you know, I know a lot of people shit on this movie. Hell, we have shat on this movie. But I do find some, I like his Riddler in, in Batman Forever. I do think he's doing his own thing and he's doing, you know, kind of a, I think Frank Gorshin was his name, the 60s Riddler, kind of doing a little play on that version. And I think he's doing a good job. I, I believe that he's fucking crazy. Look, I think, yeah, no, I, I think we talked about it. Like, look, at that time in his career when they hired him, like, well, you know, if they were thinking, oh, we're going to get like a nuance for like, no, you're hiring in like, what was that? 97, I believe. 95. 95 thank you. Mid nineties, high of his career, fucking Jim Carrey. You're getting Jim Carrey. Like that's what you're getting. Yeah. Um, but, and then we get to see, you know, his, he's also inc- an incredibly talented dramatic actor. And we got to see that with the one, two punch of the Truman show. And Man on the Moon, which both fantastic movies and brilliant performances, and especially Man on the Moon. I mean, it is scary the amount of transformation he put into becoming Andy Kaufman. That, that I know that's where a lot of the controversy with his style and method kind of comes from. Is mostly Man on the Moon. Like I know he did shit like put cheese in his pocket so it smelled terrible. He 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 attacked Kaufman's enemies. Like he would go out of his way to like start shit with people Kaufman didn't like. Like he he went crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which some I think I know some people have argued like may didn't fully leave. Obviously, like I said, we'll we'll get into his later career here in a minute. But um I haven't seen Man on the Moon myself yet. I still need to watch it, but I fucking love the Truman show. Like how yeah, like you said, he was able to be like very serious and kind of dial back his usual his usual stick. Yeah. But at the same time, he still had moments like he was able to deliver, like be like a Jim, you know, have a Jim Carrey moment. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in the Truman Show is is one of those moments when, you know, if anybody hasn't seen the Truman Show, the concept is that this guy Truman Burbank is not aware that his entire life is this unscripted TV show that he is the only person unaware of this phenomenon. So he starts figuring out something's weird about his life and he confronts his wife about it and his wife starts plugging like the product of the week, some like U-Band coffee or something. And Jim Carrey just goes, what the hell are you talking about? Oh yeah. Who are you talking to? What the hell does this have to do with anything? <laughs> it's such a great moment because yeah, if you're having an argument with somebody and suddenly they start like shilling a product, you're gonna be like, what the fuck's going on here? Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> that. the escalating, like his voice just rising of him was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Uh I've never seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but I've heard that's one of his best films. Yeah, I I still need to see that. I heard I know a lot of people when they talk about like traumatic performances he's he's given, like that's the one they always go to. Yeah. Um recently I was very impressed with his turn as Robotnik in the Sonic movies. I thought he did a great job in both of those films. Yes, I was very happy because like that's a good segue into his, you know, his middle career. Cause like I said, like I would argue after um God, what was that one where it was the fucking I want Harry met Sally. Oh, fun with Dick and Jane. There you go. Thank you. Fun with Dick and Jane. I argue shortly after that, like that's when it kind of the cracks per se started to show. And like, 
you know, yeah, we still got Bruce Almighty. We still got Yes Men, which I think people don't talk about nearly enough about. Um, but then that's when we started getting things like, you know, he was in Kick-Ass 2 and he was excited about it. And all of a sudden, I really can't promote this movie. And, like, you know, and then, like, personal life tabloid articles started kind of coming out more than, like, what he's doing in movies. So it was like there was that weird middle year of his career which was like, are we ever going to get, like, a, a proper Jim Carrey return? And I remember watching the first Sonic and going, holy shit, Jim. And even seeing the trailer, I'm like, holy shit, Jim Carrey's kind of back. Like, I love them as Robotnik. And then even in 2, to me, he was back even more. Like, he he, he just seemed more comfortable. He started doing some more of his physical stuff. And I'm like, god damn, even, like, because I think he was, like, in his late 50s. Um, at that point, the fact that he can even still obviously he's you know probably can't do it like he used to, but he can still do a lot of that physical stuff. I'm like, god damn, man! Like, and I'm with you, like seeing you know seeing those two movies, I was like, fuck yeah, he's back. And then you know he made the announcement that hey, I'm looking at retiring. I was like, fuck, just got you back, but hey, fuck it. As far as I'm concerned, you went on on a high note with the two Sonic films and not a whimper with your prior films. Yeah, thank God his last movie wasn't Mr. Popper's Penguins or The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I was hoping for, you know, Robotnik and Sonic 3, but I guess not. But, you know, he's earned it. He's done enough. He, uh, In his words, he's done enough. He has enough. What was it? He is enough? No, that wasn't. It was like something else he ended on. Yeah. Yeah, I've done enough. I have enough. I feel like I am enough is what he ended with. That sounds right. I think so. Which hey, you know, I get, I get, I get, and you know, hey, look, for, you know, obviously, I know a lot of people. There's with those articles, there's a lot of people, you know, wanting to say like, does he have a mental, you know, so, you know, obviously, all sorts of dumbass articles, right? You know, I I view that as like, hey, look, you know, he had his time in the press, you know, obviously, he's probably kind of burnt out a bit, you know, he was because you know we talk about how much we love him and. The success he's had and you know he's one of the most well-known celebrities on the planet we don't know what that's done to him in his personal life right we don't know obviously the the attention that he gets with the press and you know him going out and getting constantly recognized when there may be days he just wants to be fucking left alone mm-hmm. um so for him to kind of be like you know what? i'm at a mental peace right now to say like hey i've done it i've had a career i've had a life i'm i'm good you know i'm good you know i i can respect that i absolutely respect that yeah, everyone, you know, everyone who isn't famous says they want to be famous, but do you, do you really want to be famous? Do you really want to never be allowed to have privacy again, to have people hounding you constantly who've never met you, acting like they're your best friend? It's got to be a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I can only imagine. And, like, yeah, and that's, I think, the part people forget. I think, you know, obviously they see him and they think, oh, my God, you know, it's Jim Carrey. He's so funny and he must be loved and he he's had this insane like i said his uh his his box office success in the 90s i forget it's some kind of record i think that has yet to be, i would have to look it up again it was like some record that has never been touched i know it by memory because i was so blown away by this he's the only or the first actor to have three number one box office films at the same time in theaters and that was ace ventura dumb and dumber and the mask all at the same time which cemented his status as a box office icon yeah, so you know that, you know, people see that, right? And that's what, and it, and this isn't just one, but any celebrity that's like huge, right, big, yeah. and um, they see that, and they they don't they forget the part where that then they these guys have personal, and then they for them they're not they don't go into these rooms going this is going to be a huge hit, it's a job, 
to go, hey, I really like the script. I want to do this movie. I am interested in doing this movie. Or, you know, obviously, in his case, he had those three number one films. I'm sure at that point, scripts sometimes would be like, hey, we have this in mind for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was a matter of reading it and being like, hey, do I want to do it? Or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so at the end of the day, it's a job, right? And they have personal lives. They have stuff to deal with. You know what I mean? He has relationships, all that good stuff. And that's part people forget. And, you know, no telling. Obviously, like I said, this is kind of talking more about like that middle year. And people were kind of wondering what was going on with Jim Carrey. Who knows? Maybe he was just having kind of like his moment. It was like, it's his birthday. You know, I'm having all this stuff going on. And people hound me. And who knows? Maybe he got that piece with Sonic. The two Sonic films. He got that mental piece to say like, hey, I'm, I'm done. I've done it. I'm done. Yeah. I mean, you know, we when I watched the documentary, uh, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, which was about his transformation to Andy Kaufman. He talked about his, uh, you know, how that really kind of fucked him up mentally going into that kind of headset, not really knowing how to get out. And he like, you know, he had, you know, bouts with depression and anxiety and insecurities. And, you know, when you're, when you're considered one of the funniest people on earth, the expectations to be constantly on have got to be just crazy. I mean, you know, when people meet somebody like, you know, I don't know, Harrison Ford, you're getting what you're, you're, you might get like a begrudging groan and maybe a brief smile, but you meet Jim Carrey and you're like, I want to, you know, it's the mask. It's, it's, you know, Ace Ventura. He's going to be crazy. He's going to be wild, but maybe he just doesn't want to do that. And yeah, it's, there's a lot of uh, expectations put on comedians. Oh yeah. All the time. Cause we forget that like, yeah, obviously when they're doing a movie or if, you know, they do primarily stand up or something that, Oh, they're always on. It's like, no, they're on when they're doing their job. They're on when they're doing their movie. It's like, uh, you know, when you see like, you know, obviously we grew up around time of like real Pharaoh and them doing movies, right. Seth Rogen and all those guys. And you see the behind the scenes of them riffing. You're like, Oh, they must be all the time. Like, no, they do it on set because they are playing characters and they're, that's how they that's how they work they're on essentially like it's flipped on right now so they can sit there and riff but the moment they go home it's off like they go home they do it with their personal lives i feel like will ferrell is one of those guys that is on all the time though he might be <laughs> i don't think he knows how to, i don't think there's two will ferrells i think that is what you get every time which is fine the people like it that way but not everybody yeah so yeah you know and, and yeah and yeah, I had read about that too. Like it kind of like that shit kind of had like fucked him up when he did Man on the Moon, um, which is always why I've kind of been against method acting personally. Um, I just think there's just to me, well, to an extent, I do think there is something obviously to be said about getting you know doing your research for a character, getting into that headspace, and doing what you need to give a believable performance. Because at the end of the day, for people that think acting is so easy. There's a lot of bad actors out there, and there's a lot, a lot of reasons that not everyone can act. It does take a bit of skill. You got to be good at it. Um, so yes, I, there is to an extent like method acting. I see the, I see, I do see the point behind it, but at the same time, there is that con to it. Like, with, I've, got, I've got no problem with the process itself. I think it's just there are people who take it to a crazy degree, and those are the stories we hear the most. We don't hear about, you know, just someone who got into the headspace of a character stayed there, did a great performance, you know, maybe won an award for it and then moved on to the next movie. We hear about Daniel day Lewis building a log cabin in the wilderness for eight months and, you know, then doing the movie like those are the, cause those are the juiciest, sexiest stories. 
And that's, you know, that goes with pretty much anything in Hollywood. The regular stuff's not going to get reported on, but the outlandish stuff, we're never going to stop hearing about that. Yeah, no, very, very true. They, they like to do that. And obviously, in Jim Carrey's case, everything he was doing again to the character for, you know, Man on the Moon was going to get reported. So it's just like, he did what this, I, this time? I am, I am very against what he did, though, because he, he basically erased his personality, replaced it with Andy Kaufman. And when he was finished, was only able to recoup about 60% Jim Carrey because he forgot who he was, basically. Yeah. It was it was mental illness. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, was it recently Austin Butler said he guessed he forgot his own voice after playing Elvis? I'm like, how do you forget your own voice? <laughs> I can't that imagine. Is- I've never disappeared into a character. I can't imagine it, like erasing who I am for like a nine-month shoot to play, like, I don't know, fucking jim morrison or something like it's it, it's crazy to me that people can do that dude i'm in the i'm in the military for christ's sakes i and it's crazy to me i'm like i know i'm so know who i am yeah it's yeah to me it's you know it's it's one degree away from straight up you know antisocial personality disorder it's like at what point is it complete mental illness and you should be committed i feel like it's a very short walk there <laughs> fine line yeah <laughs> uh right, yeah no um yeah jim carrey you know look regardless of like what may have happened on day on the moon with his uh his headspace and obviously it's kind of like the beginning of the tab i would call the tabloid years of just constantly hearing whatever the fuck he was doing on the shit with emma stone when she was getting popular you know all that crazy stuff that uh that, that was odd too yeah um you know at the end of the day I think it's pretty much agreed before I move on to Love and Hell that, hey, look, Jim Carrey, we love him. The man is a comedy fucking legend. I So many great films. And you know what? I sincerely hope, I know he's not listening to this, but Jim Carrey, I sincerely hope, and I think I speak on behalf of Filmgasm, that you enjoy your retirement because goddamn you've earned it, man. Damn right. Thanks, Jimbo. <laughs> Thank you for the laughs. Jim Carrey, so many laughs in my childhood. Um, and really to this day. Um, so with that, let's move on to Development Hill and talk about the film itself. All right, so I couldn't find a whole lot on this film. So apparently it's like getting as buried like most <laughs> problematic 80s films. Um, I did find some stuff, some good, interesting movie casting stuff. Before we do that, let's talk just real quick about the fucking elephant in the room because there is some stuff behind it. Yeah, I want to start off here before we get into the fun casting stuff. So in case anyone's wondering, let's just talk about these things real quick. I don't want to go into do too much each because I'm sure they will show up in our awards. Um uh there's a lot of there's things like uh, a trans person being used as a punchline. Um there is a gay butler that is mostly there to spout off strokes. You know, I'm not gonna lie, he made me laugh quite a bit. And he his strokes were funny to me. Yeah. Um that was Cleavon Little from Blazing Saddles, which is fucking crazy. I, I didn't fucking know that. I was wow, okay. It's Sheriff Bart. <laughs> oh, I did not fucking make that connection. I was watching it. Hell yeah. Um, but the biggest one, the biggest offense, that's like one of the many, many other little things that we'll get into as we go along here. The biggest thing is a scene, a very homophobic homophobic scene in the shower. Um I will not quote the dialogue here because just no, but it's bad and they fucking go on about it for quite a while. Um, 
with that leads to what I'm about to say. So, in the revised 1989 edition of The Celluloid Closet by author Vito Russo, he obviously heavily criticized screenwriter David Hines for the stereotypical, stereotypical gay butler and the homophobic shower scene. Supposedly, again, this is not from me, this is what I found, so take this following information with the as you will. Supposedly, the shower scene was based on a personal experience of co-writer Jeffrey House. So I don't know what happened to him, if that is so true, or what was going on there. Um, and then, as far as the gay butler, it, he was conceived by Jonathan Roberts, who was hired by the director to rewrite House's and Hines' script. Hmm. Okay. Well... I don't think that's a bit of an ex- I don't think that's an excuse. I mean, yeah, it's the 80s and this was just, you know. Yeah, no, I'm not like I'm not justifying like any of this. I'm just reporting like what I saw, like just I know. Fact. But it is, you know, gay culture has been used as a punchline for film for a, lo- a very long time, especially in the 80s. And it just, you know, I I hate yeah. seeing just you know in poor taste jokes that are just, you know, that just make an entire community or, you know, gender or race just look bad. Cause that's just fucking mean. And I just, it's, it just makes me feel gross. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, no, it, it, you know, and look, the the reason I won't repeat the line dialogue, it includes the effort in case anyone's wondering. And I'm not saying, I don't mean fuck. I mean the other one. Um, and look, you know, I I listen, you know, I listen to podcasts like Workers and stuff like that. And you know, the thing with using that word is that it it one hundred, you know, one just try to avoid it if you can. But it does, the, you know, the use of that word is very reliant on context, right? So, like in this case, it comes off in incredibly poor taste, incredibly poor taste, and how it's used. As opposed to, I know we've mentioned before in something like Hatchet 3, right? Which said Hank's character. The reason, like, to me, and again, hey, look, it, you know, if someone disagrees with me, please, by all means, absolutely, I would love to have this discussion in a very civil way, and you tell me how I'm wrong, and I'm all about that. But I, this is just, you know, my own personal experience, okay? Um, the reason it worked in a scene like Hatchet 3 with said Hank is that they're not making fun of that community with using that word, they're making fun of those types of people that use that word, those type of backward ass rednecks that do exist. That so in that case, it it doesn't bother me as much. It still kind of stings to hear it a bit, but like it doesn't bother me because it's like okay, they're using it to kind of show how fucking idiotic and simple minded and bigoted this guy is, and you know those type how those types of people are. Whereas this is literally used as a joke. It's used as a as a joke as a punchline as a. Oh, there's gays in the shower. You know what I mean? It's that doesn't sit as well. It's like, oh, you're using it as a punchline again, kind of like with the trans thing I mentioned earlier. It's being used as a punchline to a joke. Yeah, and it follows with the two characters being like, oh no, we touched a man in the shower. Now we're gay. I don't want to be gay, and it's just used for the rest of the movie as this like stupid ass joke. And yeah, it's. I'm glad we've we've. We pretty much erased that from from pop culture, which is nice. But you know, it comes out sometimes. It, I mean, yeah, you still see it every so often. And 
like I said, I know I kind of mentioned Hash Three as an example. Um, and I'm sure that you know, like there's plenty of people that probably don't like the usage usage of the word in that. And again, I'm I'm totally open to that discussion. Um, because obviously, you know, I'm I, look straight. I'm I'm you know straight right. I'm a straight right male, so I have a different experience than someone who is in the gay community, right? That is in the LGBTQIA plus community. Much different experience, obviously. So I'm open to that discussion, but just how I'm coming from. It's like, look, if you're going to use that word in your movie, um, it should either highlight how fucking bigoted and just horrendous that character using it is. Again, in our recent, our more recent example was Barbarian, which is Long's character. Um, is it shocking to hear? Absolutely. But does it kind of reinforce the type of dude he is? Yes, because you're not supposed to like that guy. That's also a great, it, it can be used as an indicator for the audience, like, oh, this is the asshole. This is the scumbag. This is the guy we're not supposed to like. And that that's a good way to use that. Yeah. Right. Yes. So absolutely, right? And then, like I said, you know, obviously, like I said, with Hatchet, it's a little bit more convenient. But again, like I said, it's highlighting the fucking type of people that yeah. those are. You know, it's making fun of those people, not, the, you know, the community. Yeah. Uh, whereas this... It doesn't set well because I mean, it's like you're using it as a punchline. You're saying like, "Ha ha, look how you know." Oh, they might they might be gay. Ha ha ha. It's like, no, it's, it's not funny. What's wrong with them if they were gay? What's the issue? Yeah, it's a terrible scene. And you're right. We are going to talk about it later. Oh, but, we are. I, I got a good feeling we both put it down for our words, but <laughs> yeah. So again, like I said, I was. This is just what I found online. This is not me trying to justify the scenes in any way, shape, or form. Do not think that. Just um, what I found online, and I just want to kind of knock it out for you into the more fun stuff with the casting and stuff. So, now that's out of the way. We'll, we'll revisit that, I'm sure, in the awards. Um, Let's talk about casting choices. So, while this film would, as we mentioned, end up becoming the first Hollywood leading role for Jim carry he wasn't the first choice because obviously he's very unknown house campaigned for none other than michael j fox the <laughs> star but get this are you ready for this executive producer samuel goldwyn jr was convinced are you sitting down are you are you strapped down right now yeah are you ready <laughs> what do you got he was convinced fox would never be able to carry a big screen movie <laughs> oh oh wow some crow was eaten later that year oh yep. my god i mean just you know back first off if fox does this i feel like since this movie did this tank at the box office yes it did there goes back to the future because eric stoltz does it and i doubt it becomes as iconic as it is and also, Teen Wolf doesn't happen. Michael J. Fox became a megastar in 85, thanks to those two movies. And I hope this producer was there. Because <laughs> that is just beautiful. He'll never oh, be a dude. star, and then he proceeds to be the biggest star of the year. <laughs> I Dude, when I saw that, not only did I do Double Take, I was like, oh my god, this, you know, we've talked about before, those certain things I love not telling you, because I'm like, I can't wait to see Colin's reaction when I tell him this. This is one of those moments, like, I cannot wait to see Colin's reaction when I Tell them this shit for why they didn't want Michael J. Fox. 
Reminds me of that scene in Bohemian Rhapsody when Mike Myers is like, you know, no one will ever play Queen. The song's too long. Everyone's going to hate this song. And it becomes their most recognizable giant hit. Like, producers don't know shit. People who, the money people never fucking know anything. They never call it, ever. They're just creative black holes. <laughs> they look, they just, they hop on trends and then that's why half their shit disappears. And then when something new and different comes out, they don't take that chance. And then usually they're wrong because that new exciting thing is what takes off. <laughs> That's just great. And you know what? I don't know if Michael J. Fox, he's not sleazy enough to play this guy because this guy's a piece of shit. And I don't I don't think Michael J. Fox could play a good piece of shit. He's too likable. This is true. And not that Jim and look, not that Jim Carrey can't play likable, but he's but be- he's been able to pull off playing a darker edge character before. So it's in it's in his real house. He can pull this off. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Watch the cable guy if you want to know. <laughs> um and yeah, but as we see, he I guess, you know, they were do some convincing able to get Jim Carrey and then, you know. Toa as old as time. Jim Carrey did this movie. He got Living Color, and then fucking became the huge star that he is now. Um, yeah, I think he did some more like small bits here and there, but that's like the basic trajectory of his career. Um, true. I wonder if I, you know. Hmm? Oh no, go on. I was thinking like, where does Jim Carrey go next if this doesn't happen? Because this did get his name out there. This was a leading. St- like role for him i wonder if you know does he just become like a you know small time comic does he eventually get like does he get in living color if this doesn't happen right like, like sometimes the, you need the shit films on your resume so people will see him and think maybe this guy can do something else right because obviously like i wonder and we'll get into it but i wonder if some people saw that dancing scene and went there's something in this kid yeah, and exactly. that's what got like him. leg thing, like he's done that in every movie he's ever like he's done since. That's become like his one of his trademarks. Yeah, so I wonder if like you know had that scene not happened, him being at someone would you know pass him up, and then you know he ever get picked up for any you know notice and anything. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing, and you know it it worked out for the best because obviously Jim Carrey got this and moved on to big and better things. Michael J. Fox got fucking Teen Wolf and Back to the Future in the same year. And I wonder also if like did Michael J. Fox hear about that? It's like, what do you mean they they don't what do you mean I couldn't be a bankable star? Oh yeah, I'm gonna show them. And he like said, I'm gonna do my best work ever in this time travel movie I just got. <laughs> and lo and behold, best movie of the 80s. <laughs> uh I hope that oh god. Not only, not only do I hope that that good old Sam going here like ate his words when the show was coming out. I hope he's eating his fucking words now and feels like an asshole with you know Michael J. Fox's uh current condition. Like, yeah, you wanna you wanna say shit like that again about the fucking mighty fox? I watched his uh governor's awards uh acceptance speech for his honorary Oscar. I was touched, but also I was just I felt so fucking horrible. Like he's I hope he gets to see a cure for Parkinson's. I really hope he does. Mm-hmm. It just to me, it's like his that diagnosis was like the worst things to happen because he's such he was such a likable presence on screen. He's he seemed like a generally good dude, like a generally nice guy. And when it was found out that you know he got diagnosed with Parkinson's, it was like, oh man, 
also to like to get a diagnosis that's not like you know you're he didn't get like a you have three months to live or something he said like you're gonna live a full life but you're gonna get gradually worse and Mm. that's that's fucking terrifying like yeah yeah and it's not like you know and not saying like it's good when you're not saying one's better than the other but like you know someone like ozzy who got like well into like his fucking 60s and 70s like i'm sure that news still sucks but there's a problem going like hey i've lived my life at least you know like i've i've done i've done my you know i've I've done it i've lived my life he got what he had diagnosed with that shit when he was like in his like what 30s 40s yeah, like he had to step away in 30s he had to step away in the mid 90s and that was it He's done some voice work since and some bit bit appearances in like Curb Your Enthusiasm, but he hasn't been able to do, you know, a long term project. He just can't do yeah. it. It's too debilitating. It, and, you know, it's sad, you know, and, you know, I remember one of the more heartwarming things was I forgot what it was for, but him and Christopher Lloyd appeared on something and seeing Christopher Lloyd like kind of next to him and like make sure he was OK. And take care of him. Yeah. It was sad. It, like broke my heart a little bit. Like I'm like, man, Doc, you know, I'm staring on man, Doc's still looking out for Marty. Oh man. Yeah, that was a recent Comic Con. And then they started rele- they released their own line of Back to the Future merchandise together, which was just beautiful. I'm happy they are able to make some of their own money off this thing. And yeah, just seeing, you know, Michael J. Fox wearing an enchantment under the sea dance t-shirt brought a tear to my eye. Like that movie means the world to me. You know, it represents so much to me. And I'm I'm glad that they're both still with us and both still very engaged in the in the film and the fandom. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, you know, he's he's a living example of these. He's not letting that disease get the better of him. He's so like, you know, he had to step away from something I'm sure he loved doing. And, you know, he's you know, but the fact that, you know, since then he's put so much effort into finding a cure and still doing things like that for the fans of Back to the Future, like he hasn't like but I'm sure he's had his rough days. I'm, I'm absolutely sure the man's been through it mentally. I'm I'm sure. But, you know, he's not letting it get the better of him. And I fucking love that. that He has such that good of a spirit still. Yeah, I got his autobiography for Christmas last year. And I keep trying to carve out some time to read it. Because I, I, he does, he's a hero of mine. He really is. I, I, I'm inspired by what he's managed to accomplish in the face of this crazy diagnosis that could have ruined his life. But he refused to let that happen. Yeah. It's always, like, interesting to hear that, you know, it's always kind of sucks, like, again, kind of going back to, like, what we talk about with these actors and bringing that personal life, so, like, it's, you know, we put on that, pe- you know, pedestal, there we go, Jesus, and, you know, when these things happen, it's like, oh, shit, you know what I mean, like, when he got diagnosed, or when, you know, obviously, all you know, Muhammad Ali got diagnosed with it, or, you know, like I said recently, with, you know, finding out with Ozzy, and that's why he came out with these past two albums, because he had to cope with the fact that, holy shit, I got Parkinson's. You know, like but I also admired where he's like, I'm gonna tour till I'm dead. Like, fuck mm-hmm. yeah, Ozzy, way to make Parkinson's your bitch. Yeah, right. <laughs> obviously the the two another uh not Parkinson's, but you know, Christina Applegate and someone below, you know, both have recently been diagnosed with uh MS. Um, I have an aunt actually with MS and I've seen what it what it's doing to her. And you know, God bless those ladies, you know. It, I I'm sure that was not something you want to, especially for saying update who survived breast cancer. Like, yeah, I was going to mention man. that he's been through the fucking ringer. Yeah. yeah man. And, but seeing them, like, you know, when you see them persevere like that, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, like I saw, you know, some obviously got some Emmy award and she came onto the stage and everything. I'm like, you fucking go Selma. Um, you know, and Christian Applegate, I guess got like, I think a stall in Hollywood arc of fame and she went out there no shoes because she's like it's i can't shoes are uncomfortable 
Um, and I'm like, you know what? You fucking go. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they're in the spotlight and they're also, you know, diagnosed with life changing conditions. And I like when they, you know, they use that as a way to bring awareness to the, to the condition, to raise money for it in the, uh, in his acceptance speech, uh, Woody Harrelson introduced Michael J. Fox. And he mentioned that over the decades, Fox has raised over $3 billion in Parkinson's research. Thanks to all his public appearances and fundraisers and just doing what he can to finance research for a cure. That's fucking admirable. (laughs) Yeah. God damn. Three billion. Holy shit. Yeah, man. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, Samuel Goldwyn Jr. Michael J. Fox absolutely can carry a film. (laughs) Hell, a whole franchise. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He made three, asshole. What'd you make? Once bitten? Great. Good job. Uh, so yeah, um, I knew that I knew that would fucking get you. I was like, oh, Connor's gonna have a fucking laugh out of this one. Um, as for the Countess, they went through quite a bit of names actually. So I'll start with the most well-known one because, believe it or not, it was not written for the actress who got who got it. This role, so remember, guys, this came out in the eighties, nineteen eighty-five. A certain TV horror hostess. He was huge at this point. And the role was written for Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira. And my God, would I have loved that movie. <laughs> I like it, but isn't, I mean, isn't a little on the nose? Your point. I mean, isn't it just an Elvira movie at that point? Look, I've seen both of her movies, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm not saying it as a negative. I'm just saying... This is basically, yeah. I All right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. She would have been good. Yeah. Plus, I mean, come on. It's Elvira. Like, who doesn't? Cassandra Peterson's an awesome lady. I've seen her in, like, interviews. She's fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, it was written for her. I know there was no reason I could find why she or turn it down or, like, what happened. But I already, she, you know, didn't do it. I bet what happened, Samuel Goldwyn probably said, there's not enough Elvira fans out there for her to be in this movie. People won't see it. You're gonna be a producer. You really got to have your finger on the pulse of popular culture, or else you're gonna end up making failures. <laughs> yeah, where you learn to read the crowd. Uh, there were two other names brandied about. Um, Kathleen Turner was uh, considered at one point, and Morgan Fairchild, um, who was hot at that time, uh, would get offered, but also turn it. I I mean, hot as in like. I was just realizing not how that came out. Hot as in getting a lot of work. Like people knew who Morgan Fairchild was. God damn it! I I figured that out eventually, but at first I'm like, damn, why why the why the cut towards Morgan Fairchild? That was unfair. No, I and as soon as it came out, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait. I just mean like at that point, like working wise. Yeah. Well, Kathleen Turner, 1985, hot at the time, and I mean physically. Um, would Morgan have been a good at the time was also hot in 1985. But Kathleen Turner, like, not to be crass or mean, but she kind of evolved into like basically a clone of Danny DeVito. <laughs> and I, you know what? Okay, sure, fine. I don't yeah, know why. 1985. Yeah, Romancing the Stone. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Peggy Sue got married. Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah, she would have been great in this. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, she was. 
Well, considered Fairchild was offered, but she turned it down. So those were the those were the big three names. Uh, I had no idea this was running for Elvira, but hell yeah. Um, I feel like like you think Faye Dunaway was any inspiration because I feel like the character feels like she was supposed to be Faye Dunaway. Maybe I didn't couldn't find anything supporting like that in any way, but uh, maybe I could I could see it absolutely. Um, now remember when I talked about we mentioned it his uh Jim Carrey's controversial style or method acting. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about deleted scene. Um, it involves vampire vampires eating cockroaches. Oh no! Now most normal actors, including myself. Well, if I was acting, right? Includes like what? What do you, do you act I, on the side? You in community theater? I didn't know about. What, Watch you, you go see like the new Transformers or Indiana Jones, and also, and I just pop up in it. That's what happened with, with my uncle and you. You're watching Machete Kills. And you're like, is that is that your uncle? Uh, I'll never. That's the funniest fucking text I ever got. Yeah, I was. It's funny too because I remember I still I was like that looks like his uncle. Also, he is the only guy with white hair. My uncle was an extra in Machete Kills, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, and Transformers, Age of Extinction. So randomly, my uncle will just be like you know, doing a reaction shot or something in the background. And Caleb didn't know that. He was watching Machete Kills. He saw my uncle and was like, what the fuck? As long as I've seen the other films he was in, I just didn't see him. Like, yeah, but It's that's- very quick in those films, but in Machete, he got like a close up because Rodriguez was like, I like your look. You're going to the front. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could tell in that one because, yeah, I mean, granted, like, since the name to kill for makes sense because it's shot in black and white, so it's like, can you know, like I said, it's quick, easy one to miss. Let me guess, he was in the scene with uh, the the strip club, probably. No, he was. He played a cop in a, a oh, okay. when a body was d- discovered. He's like walks past the the corpse, and then in Transformers, he's in the background of a baseball game. Like okay. Well, say I was gonna say Transformers. I probably like no Michael Bay just likes to cut shit so quick that it's like you, you only know those main actors. You do not know those background actors in fucking Michael Bay films. One year for um, Christmas, I I screenshotted all three films he was in, and I gave him like a a frame of him in all three films for Christmas, and he was that was cool. Still has that up on his wall. You know what? I own all three of these. Well, no, I don't own Machete Kill, so I own there too. So I should probably rewatch those or at least try to find those scenes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Cool. Yeah, I don't want to rewatch all of Age of Extinction because it's like a ridiculously long movie, and even someone who will defend the first three Transformers films, I really don't care for the Mark Wahlberg ones. Um, you don't like Katie Yeager? No, the the Texas Boston guy. Yeah, the Boston scientist born and raised in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is that like he doesn't bother me. It's that I think he. It's like the films are just shit compared to like. Yeah, granted, I know all oh, the films are shit. I hear you, and again, subjective. I don't mind the first three with Shia LaBeouf. They're mindless entertainment, but then my brain started hurting with it. But yeah, um, but since the I, I, I actually wouldn't mind saying through a Dame to Kill Four again because I do remember liking Dame to Kill Four. Um, but yeah, so eating cockroaches, right? Most normal actors would just do what they do in their job description. They would eat fake ones and act like they're eating real ones. Not not, not Jim Carrey. He mm-hmm. insisted real cockroaches be used. And for some reason, even though he was a first-time leading man actor, they listened to him. Instead of being, shut the fuck up, this is your first movie, 
Jim. <laughs> you should do what I say. That's yeah. I am. I am honestly surprised anyone was like, "Oh, well, he's calling the shots here. Give the give the kid a real cockroach." Like what? And why would Jim be like, "This is this is the apex of my career. If this doesn't look right, I will never get another role. Give me a cockroach." Right. Like I you swap know. it out with a graham cracker in the dark. No one's gonna fucking know, man. Well, this is the thing. Not just him. He wanted the other actors. So everyone in that scene eating real cockroaches. Everyone had to suffer. They all were like, well, it's Jim Carrey. And they're like, who the fuck is Jim Carrey? Yeah. <laughs> they went with it? Uh, yeah. Dude, If I, I don't care if you if it would have gotten me fired. I would have fucking refused. I'm like, no, I'm not putting a goddamn cockroach in my mouth. All right. So, A, he made them all eat live cockroaches. B, yeah. the scene got cut. Yes, the scene got cut. So, needless to say... A lot of actors were upset that they were forced to eat real cockroaches for nothing. I would have killed him. <laughs> he, if I got forced yeah. to production as like a starving actor to eat a fucking cockroach and then that scene got cut, Jim Carrey would not have made it out of the 80s. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> the very least, I would have broken something that would have impeded his career. Oh, yeah. I, I would be like, hey, that little leg move you do, let's see how you do when it's broken, Jim. Let's yeah, I'm going to break works. those strings on the leg guitar. Come here. Like again, look this, and this is what I'm talking about. Like the whole, like you know, obviously there's been some con, not necessarily controversy, but actors speaking out on what they think and their feelings with method acting. Again, I will say what I think. Yes, to an extent, the the need to do it to get into your character and fucking deliver a believable performance, absolutely. They need to be an enraging asshole with it, and like you said, with Darren Day Lewis or. Jared Leto is my go-to example because that guy is a fucking dumbass about it. Um, well, here's the thing. Also, you know what? I, if any actor wants to do anything for themselves that's going to enhance their performance, no matter how wacky or crazy, you do you. It's your life. But once you start forcing it on others, you're an asshole. When Jim Carrey made those people eat cockroaches, in that moment, he was the asshole. When Daniel yeah, Day-Lewis forced Brenda Fricker to make him, you know, push him around in a wheelchair the entire set of My Left Foot, Kind of an asshole. Yeah. And the fact that any of these actors, especially someone like the the lady, I can't remember her name, so I did not bother write down the lady, but I mean the countess. Like he was a um, more seasoned actress than Jim Carrey at that point, in, you know, her career. Lauren Hutton. Thank you. Uh obviously the more bigger name they got for the film as far as like seasoned actors, right? Why would you listen to the new guy? Like, not to pull that string, because I, I kind of get tired. I, you know, the whole, like, uh, you know, pay your dues to an extent. I'm kind of, like, against to an extent. Um, But, like, in this case, like, look, man, this is your first fucking movie. You're, like, 20. No, fuck off. I'm not eating a goddamn. You do you, but I'm not eating a live cockroach. You can suck my dick before that ever happens. How's that sound? <laughs> this is an outrageous demand, and that it was considered, and then performed and then they cut the goddamn scene oh my god i yeah i'd, I'd be livid yeah i'd be no like for i would absolutely refuse and then if they made me do it yeah i'd be fucking livid yeah i'd be like you know what waiting tables isn't that bad see you fuckers <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's it i don't care how famous i am i'm not eating a goddamn cockroach no again i especially because i'm like i know for a fact they can make fucking fake candy ones that look real and probably don't taste bad because they're fucking fake yeah, or, you know, just like I said, you know, 
do the scene where you're like coming up to the, you know, you're bringing a cockroach up to your mouth, cut, replace cockroach with like a cookie and then chomp. No one's going to know the difference. You think in Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton just ate a, ate a bug off the ground. No, he didn't. I, I hope he didn't. I can't verify that, but I'm pretty sure he didn't. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. It Look guys, this isn't a jackass set. Like, come on. Yeah. It's that's insane. I, Oh, I don't like that. I, it makes me wonder what other crazy shit he's pulled on other film sets. I mean, if yeah, on your first movie they're going to listen to you and make everyone eat cockroaches, you're going to think, oh, I can probably get away with a lot. <laughs> I can do so much. <laughs> listen to me. Yeah, Neil before Jim. Like I, I hope and that didn't go to his head, but how does it not? I know, right? It's also making me really hope that the uh, cop in Dumb and Dumber did not actually drink piss. What if that? What if Jim Carrey's like nobody go, nobody breaks for lunch till he drinks my piss. <laughs> like he he demanded it. And at that point, that's when I say actors have too much power in Hollywood, and they're all human just like you and me. Go fuck yourself. I'm going to lunch. You're not stopping me from eating. Or I'm not drinking piss either. How's that sound, Jim? I would love if years after the cable guy, he's still stalking Matthew Broderick. He's. <laughs> Broderick just sees him outside in the bushes and he's like, God damn it. It's Jim. He calls the cops. It's Jim Carrey again. Please send somebody. <laughs> His wife sometimes is like, God damn Matthew, call the cops. It's Jim outside. <laughs> oh man. I, uh, you know what? I, I actually am. I'm, I want to take back some of the praise is now I'm like, he, is he fucking crazy? <laughs> he might be whatever. I was like, Oh my God. But again, I kind of have like, this is when I kind of like learn at times, like I probably couldn't make it like in big budget Hollywood because I would be like the type of dude to be like, I'm not eating that. I don't care what, how the hissy fit your mouth though. You well, fucking grown ass man. Like in every no. job I've ever had, I, I, I refuse to like kiss the ring. Like I don't do that. Like respect is earned for me. And I don't, I don't respect a lot of people, frankly. <laughs> so, yeah. And. Yeah, no one's gonna tell me that shit. And I'm just gonna be like, yeah, you got it, sir, and devour a goddamn cockroach. Yeah, no. no. I'm with you. Like, especially and also like if I don't want to do something, you cannot force me to do something again. Look, this isn't like a jackass film getting phoned, right? And even then, you know what Johnny Knoxville doesn't do to the crew? Make them partake in the fucking stunts. Well, unless they're making a movie. Unless they're making a movie. <laughs> and even then, it's select crew members, aka Jeff Jones, uh Jeff Jones, <laughs> Jeff Tremaine. Yeah. And also, if you're on, if you're filming a jackass movie, and you don't know what to expect, that's on you at this point. Yeah, and I feel like Johnny Knoxville could probably talk me into it. He probably could. He's good at and, that. Uh, but again, if, I'm also again, but if you do actually like, if you know, it's like unless it's Chef Tremaine, they don't really go all the way to harm the crew too much. Like they kind of leave them alone, and they're not like doing the shit that they do. You know, what I mean? they're not going to pogo stick on their nuts like they do. You Thank know, God. Can you imagine you signed a contract to be like the director of photography on the new Jackass and in very small, undecipherable print, it says crew ca or cast may be allowed to pogo on your nuts at any given moment. <laughs> and you already you signed it. It's ironclad. You can't get out of that. Can't get out of that. It has to happen. You either yeah, get no. a pogo on your nuts or you go to you go to prison. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> like what was it like in four point? Uh, did you see four point five on Netflix? I've seen all of yeah, for a reason that one's on Netflix. Um and not Paramount like the rest of them. But if you notice when they did that thing with the bull gun, if you notice 
he didn't. The only person he shot was Tremaine. If you notice, he even Knoxville got the tension from the crew. Be like, hey guys, I'm not trying to shoot you. Get out of the way. <laughs> I'm trying to get him move. To me, it's all. It, it's like you know, you don't piss off the people making your food. You know, you don't piss off the crew building your movie. Yeah, like those people are like, fuck this, and they throw down the boom mic. Production gets halted. You exactly. can get a you can get a director anywhere. And that and that's yeah and that you know what good way back to this that's what's crazy when they you hear about these like outrageous things the actors are doing like you do realize that yes and no an actor is replaceable right like obviously you pick that person because they are like the good one for the role most of the time Hollywood has proven otherwise every so often um I got one for you um the lovely bones two thousand nine was supposed to be Ryan Gosling he was supposed to star in that movie he thought. I'm playing a father. Fathers aren't Ryan Gosling ripped most of the time. So I should do something about that. And he gained 50 pounds without telling Peter Jackson. He shows up on set 50 pounds overweight. And Jackson's like, the fuck did you do? (laughs) The character's not overweight. Why'd you do this? Now we can't use you. And he was fired and they got Mark Wahlberg. And Ryan Gosling ended up fat and unemployed, as he said. Exactly. Replaceable. Yeah. <laughs> Actors are replaceable. You know what's and I mean, yeah, to an extent they're replaceable, but you know what hot halts production even worse? When one of the crew members crits and now you gotta find a new crew member. The boom mm-hmm. mic guy, the sound guy, the DP, like insert name here, because now you gotta find someone to help do some more technical show on the film because they fucking bounced on your ass. Look what happened with Fast and Furious. Lost the director. Look how long it took for them to get a new one. <laughs> Yeah. So why yeah. actors have all that power when obviously crew members dictate if this film's going to get fucking filmed or not is beyond me. I think a lot of it's in their head, you know. A lot of, I think a lot of it's just, you know, they're they're treated with kid gloves so that nobody has to deal with a with a meltdown. But once mm-hmm. a meltdown does happen, it's fairly easy to resolve. You just give them, you know, I don't know, a money milkshake or some shit. And they're just like, okay. It's just, it's you know, I don't know. I feel so, like you told Vin Diesel he's not a candy ass. No, no, you're you're not. You're Groot. You're not a candy ass. It's okay, Vin. <laughs> you just show him the Iron Giant and just like, who's Superman? Who's Superman? He's like, I, 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 I am. I'm Superman. <laughs> Comes out twenty minutes later. Let's who's, shoot this. Who's the star of this franchise? Me. Yeah, that's right. What kind of fuel does this franchise take in their engine? It takes diesel. Say it with me. <laughs> there's no way that has not come up. <laughs> Making 10 of these fuckers, there's no way somebody has not had to calm him down with that. This franchise need diesel. So that was a good one. Uh, oh, whoo! <laughs> On that note, let's talk about when it happens when someone doesn't get any more work in Hollywood. By the time the film was released, 
house, one of the, the screenwriters I mentioned earlier, had blown through his initial earnings and had to take a job as a video store clerk. For those who don't know what that is, before Netflix, you went to the store to rent movies, called, known as Blockbuster. Movies came in a rectangular box, looked like a brick. It was called a VHS to this day. I have no idea what that stands for. It's like videos. I, I would have to look it up again. It's been a minute. Tape. It was a tape. You had to rewind that fucker. You got pissed when you went home and it wasn't rewound. Oh. Previous guy was supposed to do it and not everybody did it. Most people didn't do it because that's Most more work didn't. that they don't technically have to do. So fuck it. And it was amazing. You knew someone had money if they had a fucking rewinder. Yeah, which is weird because yeah. the VCRs rewound it. Like you didn't need a rewinder, but like if you had one. I mean, you you know, use it. We had one. Yeah, my my aunt had one. So anytime I like did like uh like a mummy marathon or something, I could like take the like the first one out, put in the rewinder, and just throw in the second one. Um, I do love that house stayed in the movie business. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, <laughs> kind of. Uh, and actually, I say blockbuster, but if this was eighty five, uh, I want to actually Planet Hollywood was probably, um. Or Planet Video, video oh, fuck, what, the one before Blockbuster, the big one. I know Planet Hollywood is that like shitty theme restaurant that Bruce Willis owned a part of. Actually, yeah, it's not Planet Hard. I can't. Oh god damn it! It's like Hollywood Video or something. It's like Rod. Hollywood Video was yeah. I think that that was the East Coast version. I I had a Hollywood Video. Okay, yeah, it was Hollywood Video and Blockbuster, kind of like two big giants. And then if you lived in a small town, it was some dumbass name like the Video Store. Quick rent videos or some dumb shit like that. Uh, in Blanco, we had Video Shack. I don't know if you're if you remember that, but we had Video. Yeah, Shack. I moved. I moved to Blanco in 2010. Videos were long dead. Yeah, Video Shack was gone, but it was uh, it, You know where the Super S and all that shit was? It was in there. It was at the very end with that covered area they had to go into. Okay. And yeah, it was Video Shack, and we used to go all the time to rent movies. Um. So that's what we're talking about with the video source, those who don't know, because you know, we live now where you can obviously stream everything and blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, so he he ended up working at a video store to rent movies out to people. Um, and apparently, and again, how true this is, I don't know, but I thought it's funny and I'm gonna share it. Um one day, apparently, an oblivious customer remarked on how whoever worked on this film shouldn't be working in Hollywood, <laughs> to which an angry house retorted you got your wish <laughs> i hope that happened i hope it was it started with him like the, the guys in there is like i'm looking for something funny but you know leaning into horror preferably with a new actor not many people have seen and the guy's like oh i, I think i got i got something for you once bitten this is hilarious trust me wink he gives it to the guy he watches it he comes back he's like this was shit the guy who made this should not be working he's like oh yeah Oh yeah, you think that? <laughs> so did so did Samuel Goldwyn. That'll be five ninety eight, bitch. <laughs> you know what? You got some life fees. Twenty ninety eight. Oh yeah, yeah. That was the thing back then too with the video stores, ladies and gentlemen. If you did not return that show on time, who boy would they fucking blockbuster especially would stack those late fees like no one's business. Oh my god. Yeah, I, those were the those were the days. I hated that shit. It like three days to watch a movie, and then if you didn't bring it back in those three days, you basically had to give them your firstborn child. Yeah, they get real angry. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, dude, I would just love the idea of like, well, it's crazy is that like, if this is to be believed, he easily could have just gone more. Had he just, you know, I don't know, continue script writing, but it was just because he blew through his damn earnings. He's like, he literally pulled the rookiest of rookie mistakes in the industry and went, oh shit, what a lost paycheck! Time for some hookers and blow. And then at the end of his of that, he went, oh shit, I don't have any more money. I hope that I he's, gotta... I hope he's, I li- was living out of his like Lamborghini. Like he kept that, but that's his house now. <laughs> he showers at the Y, sleeps in the Lambo. <laughs> oh God, I just oh dude, like yeah, just look. And this is for anyone, for dear listeners out there. Even if you don't have a hot any job you have, don't throw through. Don't do not blow through your fucking paychecks, like. Set some fucking shit aside. Obviously, you know, make sure you get your bills paid, all that good stuff. Have some fun money. Nothing wrong with that. But set some shit aside. Do not blow through all of it. Or else, you know, you'll be working on an actual film. And the next thing you know, you're working on a video rental store. Or, you know, you could write something else. Try it again. I don't know. Easily could have done that. I don't know why. That was not option two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, Yeah, that's that's weird. I wonder, wonder how long you think he was just at that video store till he till he croaked. I want to say yes. I love the idea of like he's like in his seventies still trying to rent out fucking runs band to people. There's one video store left in L.A. and it's this guy's video store. He owns it now. <laughs> uh, no, he he wrote uh, he wrote an episode of Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Like a '90s cartoon Tales from the Crypt, and then a movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2003 called Bachelor Man, all one word, which would not well was not well received. So he's but not. He tried again, and Hollywood gave him a resounding fuck off. <laughs> you know what? He can at least say he did make some movies. You know, no one quite liked his movies. Um. And that's actually it. I actually that was the last thing I put down was that because I was like, you know what, let's end on that note. We that was you know what for ba- barely any information that was a good development. Hell, we got Jim Carrey's cockroach problem. We got House and his money woes. Like that was good. Yeah, I I look out because like so in case anyone's wondering, here's a little, a little step into my research. I Wikipedia first. I know not the most reliable. Like, like look, I'm tired of hearing that argument with anything. That shit is a lie perpetuated by public school. Wikipedia is actually pretty damn accurate. So there it is. Yeah. And look, I'm just not, like, anything on the internet, you got to take it with a grain of salt anyway. So, like, just fuck off. Okay. Like, just fuck off. It's internet research. Like, it, ah, um, unless you get the fucking Blu ray with the special features and them specifically talking about it or a podcast that they talk about, like, you got to get anything else outside of that with a grain of salt. We luck out sometimes when we get some good research materials, but oftentimes, especially on this show, we're dealing with movies that have been, you know, buried or forgotten. So no one's releasing deluxe editions of that or anniversary sets or talking about it on a podcast, except for our sorry asses. Yeah. So nine times a ten, I get on Wikipedia because of it, and if it doesn't have anything good, I'm like, okay, let me try IMDb, and I click on the trivia page and. I've literally on some of these like this one and actually the airplane two episode I was cobbling together like bits and stuff from like the trivia to make 
into like a coherent structure. Yeah. Anytime um, I got to do a film gasm on a shutter film, that's basically what I got to do is just kind of figure it out because they don't even have Wikipedia pages for most of those movies. Uh, dude, it, I mean, look, it's funny because sometimes I get lucky, right? We get like a Dark Tower or like a Batman wrong or like I case of dark tower that wikipedia had everything i needed in the case of batman yes i do own those batman films because i'm a anyone who hasn't learned yet i'm kind of a completionist so if it's a sequel to a franchise i like even if it's bad i do own it in that case it does has paid off now for this show because a lot of times it is deluxe editions but like special features so i'm like oh thank god i can i do feel like next week despite how difficult it is to find next week's film there is so much written about it oh yeah yeah, that's going to be the first in history where it's going to be a film that's incredibly hard to find and just like cross my fingers now, knock on wood, do not leave the one place it's goddamn on. No, uh-huh. We're going to be fine. Remember, we found the backup. We're going to be fine regardless. We're good. Yeah. You guys will have to answer what we're doing while we're like this right now on this one. But I'm sure that there's plenty of information out there on how it got made. Uh, but, yeah, so that's how we're ending that one. You know, more or less on story is don't don't blow through your fucking paycheck. Yeah. Hookers and blow. There's always more hookers and blow. There's not necessarily another screenplay for you to capitalize on. Yeah. Especially if your first screenplay led to a film that didn't do too hot. So you might want to work on your next screenplay first. You're not going to write a sequel called Twice Shy? You idiot. <laughs> um, all right. It's so enough for the awards. Uh, the first the first one up and i i have i wonder if we have the same thing i'm very curious um the zach snyder i got no snarky comment i probably won't have one for a while he's kind of been quiet now he's working on his netflix movie um the worst scene let's let's find out what do you put yeah i'm pretty sure we went in the same direction that shower scene is fucking unforgivable (laughs) (sighs) I literally, I, I was f- trying to figure out how to fucking call it on here. Um, and then when I was in the, the development hell stuff and I saw that they called it the homophobic shower scene, I was like, perfect. So that's how I have it down in my notes, homophobic shower scene for the award. Yeah. It, it's bad. I, it's funny because, you know, we at, Josh actually owns this film. We got it like as a two-pack. So what's in the, what's the other one? Love at First Bite or something like that. Of course. Um. And uh, so he at one point came out to watch it because it's been so it's been a while since he saw it. And even he, like, we both had a moment when, as soon as the scene came on and they said the line that they said, we both just kind of like went, Oh, oh, like, we were just like, Oh boy. And he was like, Yeah, that doesn't age well. The line in question, by the way, is FAG alert screamed, and everyone freaks out when Jim Carrey's two friends are trying to find a bite on his thigh to prove he's a vampire. They're like, oh, my God, gay sex in the shower. We're all going to die. And everyone loses their fucking mind. And now these two guys are like, are we gay? We might be gay. Oh, my God. It's horrific. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have even more to say on the worst filmmaking decision with the, the follow up stuff with that. Um, But just like focusing on the scene itself, like this is again, you know, I know I kind of talked about a lot at the beginning, but like, again, like using it as a punchline. No, and look, don't get me wrong. I am, you know, I know Josh. I've mentioned it before. Josh mentioned it too. I think on Black on the Black Friday episode, you know, I'm very much yes. I'm very much in the camp that it's either all funny or nothing is funny. But also, I think when people forget when people when the South Park guys say that, 
and if you watch South Park, if you notice, depending on the subject that they were tackled, depends on how they approach it as a joke. That's the key thing. Depending on your subject matter, needs to dictate how you're going to approach it as a joke. Because obviously, dealing with something heavy like rape, you got to be fucking careful how you're going to handle that, right? And then you, again, something like this, like I mentioned earlier, you're using this as a punchline. That's not funny. That just ages ter- that ages almost instantly. It just is it's cringy when it comes out and it ages worse as the years go on. Don't punch down. Punching down is never funny. And in the 80s, you know, being gay was not, you know, wasn't looked at with the same acceptance as it is today. And it's there's still hateful assholes out there today, but in the 80s, it was yeah. But I'll say as we for those who aren't keeping up, I mean, for those who do keep up with current events, you probably heard for those who don't. The fact that we have to codify and make it into law in 2022 to protect same-sex marriage and interracial marriage is yeah. fucking insane. Don't get me wrong; I was very happy to see that the Senate passed, which means it's going to happen because the House is it's expected the House will pass it. Oh, oh no, Biden will sign it. And we'll be good to go. But the fact that that's even happening, and that there were psycho racist homophobic pieces of shit who voted against it and they get to keep yeah. their jobs it's like what what happened like why are we living in this crazy ass world yeah and it so yeah like that's why i mean like you know to support yeah unfortunately it's so ongoing way now i would say since the 80s is that i would say people are just more more open about it, it like people were just it was more rampant um obviously for those who don't know again a little background in the 80s, the AIDS crisis was happening. Um, and unfortunately, instead of being smart and realizing that those who got HIV that led to AIDS, the actual cause was you know, illicit drug use mixed with unprotected sex. That's what they found out. Problem is, it was happening strongly in the gay community. And the thing is, because guess what? I mean, and I get it, they don't worry about protection like think about it think about the sex they're having you don't necessarily need it um most people wear protection not necessarily for the fact that it helps not stop the spread of stds they do it so they don't get pregnant well um, and also in the 80s you know hooking up was so anonymous so secretive you didn't advertise a lot of you know a lot of times there weren't faces involved it was just like as anonymous as possible there was almost no way to trace this shit yeah people were you know obviously you know that community you know, people were having unprotected sex. You know, it, hooking up culture was huge in the 80s, coming off of the sexual revolution of the 70, 60s and 70s. Um, and then mix that with the fact that drug use was rampant. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's well known the amount of cocaine use people were doing in the 80s. Like, so yeah, all, all that stuff was the cause of it, not just because like two dudes decided like blow each other. That was not the reason. No. Nah. Although I have my own thoughts about AIDS and where it came from, but that's not for now. I'll tell you when we're done recording because it's a little crazy, but it makes a lot of fucking sense. I'm not crazy. I promise. Yeah. No, the, the point is like, you know, God damn it. Um, the point is like, you know, that's kind of like the history and like this whole thing, right? Obviously there was, because of it, there was rampant homophobia, like fucking nobody's business. And again, like I said, you know, obviously still something that happens today. Um, as much as some people try to say it doesn't, it does. Um, but obviously just much more rampant, much more open, I would say. Um, and so the movies at the time, unfortunately, reflect that big time. 
as we see in a scene like this. And it just, yeah, it's just, it's just a, obviously I, I guarantee you when this came out, people were probably laughing their asses off, guarantee it. Um, but man, watching it now, it is like immediately you just kind of cringe. It's just like, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can, well, now we can never talk about it again. Oh yeah. Thank God. Um, and also last thing I'll say is this, like if don't let this be the reason you don't watch films from the eighties, I promise there's a lot of great eighties films. Just it's like I mentioned before, when you watch an older film, right? You got to go and knowing that unfortunately times were different. Yeah. Things were accepted that or things weren't accepted. They're accepted now, you know, blah, 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 blah. And for, because that there will always, not just eighties, but 76, any, even nineties and two thousands films will have things that just don't age well because at the time it was more, it was okayed by a lot more people. And, you know, obviously years going on, people have been called out. Things have been righted in a lot of ways. So it just, just know that going to really any classic film you go in, there's going to be some moment where you're like, Oh God. Yeah. Back to the future nearly had one. There's a deleted scene where, you know, Marty's plan to, uh, to help his parents meet and connect and fall in love is he's going to, take advantage of his mother and George is going to show up and, you know, they're going to fake that. And there's a scene where that was cut out of the movie where Marty's having second thoughts and he confesses to doc. He's like, what if I do this and I end up turning gay? And I'm so glad they didn't like that. They cut that out. Cause that would have been just a, a black mark on this great movie that I feel yeah. like I would have had to justify my love for every time. Yeah, look, someone has to do enough of that with certain like movie, certain horror films, and certain like you know heavy metal bands. Like, trust me, I'm not. I don't promote my old my my you know I don't talk about Marilyn Manson a lot anymore for very obvious fucking reasons. So, thanks a lot, Manson, for being a fucking monster. Uh, so yeah, no, I get it. I'm glad that that you got saved on that one. Um, on that note. The dialogue, which boy, that I fulfilled it with some of the stuff that is so fucking 80s dialogue. Uh, the Ed Wood, worst line. Uh, I've only got one here, and it's just such a dorky way to describe sex that uh, Jim Carrey's two dope ass friends, and I mean dope in the most negative sense. Um, they ask after he comes back from meeting the Countess and he doesn't remember anything, they ask him how it went, and they go, Did you go for the pokey? I'm like, I immediately grabbed my phone. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I started typing it down. <laughs> Even in the 80s, who says that? I don't. I have quite a bit. Oh, I hated his friends. There's one in particular I'm saving for the next award uh, intent. Um, but my God, were his friends like the most obnoxious human beings ever. Hey, your girlfriend's not burn it out for you let's go to a fucking thing where you can have some like random sleep with you like not not the fucking answer you dumbasses <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then, and then like you know when he finally gets somebody who's like yeah i'll tie you up we'll have a great time he's like uh uh no no thank you sorry sorry and like backs away all slow like, like oh my god these idiots god god yeah oh boy did i hate them uh my my night picks outside of the one I I'm not gonna say in that scene. I know if we could if we could quote it, that would be obviously the worst line. Yes, uh, mine has to do with something that blew my mind because it's something that 
I've always hated when people use because the fact that we've as a society for a long time, I think more recently we've been videoing that along with like the Me Too movement and stuff like that. Um was an okay thing to say, like it's a fucking excuse, like it doesn't justify what you did. But uh when she finds out, you know, he may have slept with another woman and um Jim Carrey's response to that was, It's not my fault. I was drunk. I Look, guys, gentlemen, if you ever tell anyone, whether it's your significant other, a friend, family member, whoever it be, that it's not your fault because you were drunk, you're an asshole. You're a piece of shit. Go fuck yourself. Your drunk ass does not excuse any abhorrent behavior you did. Okay. that's, That's my PSA and why I put that line down. It's well, also like it's not like he stumbled into that situation. He went to LA looking to score, and as far as he knows, he did. Yeah, you did that part sober there, bud. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, oh. it's hard to endear us to this guy, and I'll have more to say about that later. Yeah, it as soon as I heard that line, because I, I had some sort of, and I was like, nope, that's it. Because I've just I've always hated that that fucking I was. Str- no, 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 no. You're drinking. Because nine times out of ten, whatever you were doing, you were probably doing before you were drinking, so you were sober while you were doing it, and then the drinking just took away the inhibition, dude. Like, that's all that happened, okay? Um, So I've always hated that excuse. And yeah, like, dude, like, she found out you potentially cheated, and that's your fucking answer? That is your comeback? Oh, I was drunk. I'm sorry. Well, when she gives him the ring back, and he's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, Jesus, man. Like, dude. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. All right. Good, good call. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, just keep that in mind, guys. Like, if you're using that as an excuse, you're kind of an asshole, in my opinion. I'm just going to say that right now. You're, 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 you're a dick. Um, Because I, look, I've been trying plenty of times and I've never had to ever fucking use that as an excuse. I just, I was an idiot. That reminds me of my favorite Craig Ferguson bit where he's talking, he was talking about when Mel Gibson got pulled over and said a bunch of anti-Semitic remarks. And he, his excuse during his half-assed apology was like, you know, I was so drunk. And Craig Ferguson's like, really? You can get that drunk? Like I was an alcoholic for years. I never went third Reich on anyone's ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. When people use that excuse, I'm like, yeah, okay. I've been drunk. I haven't, Cheated on someone, said anti-Semitic shit, raped someone. I haven't done any of that shit. I've been drunk. I did goofy shit with my friends, and I passed out for the night. Yeah. That's what I did. Last time I got I got buzzed. All I did was just continuously tell my cat how much I loved him. Because deep yeah. down, I'm not a monster. <laughs> yeah. So I've I've just always hated when people try to use that. It's and it's usually it's usually in real life that stereotypically a worse human being anyway already like they're not exactly someone you want to hang out with but when they use that you're like oh boy stay away from that person um so on that note i'm trying to get an idea of who you may have put down for this one the steven seagal the worst performance i gave this one to lauren hutton oh i, thought, I was about to say i definitely you're gonna say jim carrey but go on no i think he's doing fine i mean for his first movie i think he's you know he's not as energetic or wild as he would be later but this is more of a subdued character anyway, and he's well, doing 
and it makes sense for it being his first role. Like, I, I don't expect him out the gate to be like, here I am. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's like, I got to prove myself. He's not going to be Ace Ventura immediately. No, that would be crazy. <laughs> you got to get yeah. build up to that shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, I love vampire movies and I, I want the bad guy to be a little intimidating, a little scary, a little evil. She was just kind of lukewarm. She was just like, I want virgin blood, but I'm not going to try that hard. <laughs> what? Give me a conflict here. Give me give me some reason to, to get not invested. Not only is she not going to try hard, she picked like the worst city. It's like, I want virgin blood, but let me go to LA in the 80s. Why not maybe, you know, abduct Jim Carrey's dipshit friends who are obviously virgins, very hard up, and incredibly stupid? Why not I just do that? She should have said she needs three virgin blood, right? He had, there was three of them right there the whole time. You can knock this out in one night. Yeah, I was like, you actually could have, like, solved this problem in one night and the movie would have been over. Yeah, I do also love that this basically had the same resolution as the babysitter, too. <laughs> if the virgin's no longer a virgin, the plan is kaput. And I guess no one's killing anybody because it's just like, well, the plan's over. I guess we'll go elsewhere. Yeah, vampires. Be some be vampires. Kind of like the Baser Two's um take on that a little bit better, but that's because I really like both the Baser movies. I do too. But it it was just funny. Like they why is his shirt off? Yeah, why is his shirt off every time? I love it. Uh, yeah. But in this, it was just you know the plan is kaput, and instead of you know maybe being like oh you you ruined my plan centuries in the making, I'm gonna rip your throat out. It's just like curses. I guess we'll just go. Yeah, yeah, I thought for sure she would die, but she just, like, is taken away. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, all it does is make her a little less attractive. Like, she doesn't turn into, a, like, a skeleton or die or turn into a monster. She just gets gray hair. Hollywood. Just, Hollywood, yeah. Well, I, just apparently... never, I didn't like her performance. I thought she was just underdeveloped and kind of boring for, a, for our villain here. Yeah, I was going to say Hollywood were, like, what they find worse than death is aging, apparently. It's true. It's true. Especially in the 80s. Yeah, like, death, not, death, you know, the end of your life. Not the worst thing. It's you aging. You don't All look right. like Tony Katane. You're not getting work. Sorry, but those were the rules of the 80s. Didn't make them up. I didn't make those rules, but those are the rules. Um... No, that's a good one. Yeah, she's not in the in the the you know pantheon of vampire villains. Not exactly one that gets brought up for obvious reasons. Um, I went as I kind of alluded to earlier. I went with Skip Lackey, who plays of the two the two friends, the one that uses the same fucking line constantly. Like, I'm a mature guy. You're a mature woman. Okay. I think his name was like Russ or I fucking tuned out about halfway through. Um, but yeah, it's just because he is just oh my god, is he the worst? Like he, I, he's a shit. He his idea to go to fucking Hollywood to get his buddy Lee because his girlfriend won't sleep with him to the, using the same line to being the reason there's a fucking punchline involving a trans person to just everything about this character. Just goddamn, just, no, I don't like him. That's the main thing. It's not even the guy's a bad actor in this movie. It's just, I don't like his fucking character. Absolutely hate this goddamn character. Why do they have an ice cream truck? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, his friends suck. 
they're just stereotypically stereotypical 80s idiots who are just hitting on chicks that's their whole character yeah and he could have easily to avoid having that cringy shower scene could have just ask hey do you have a bite mark down there yeah or maybe just you know look down don't grab him by the legs and be like we got him look look now <laughs> but you know when you're stupid you can't plan accordingly no you can't you can't fix stupid son uh <laughs> yeah so yeah um yeah, the friends were fucking idiots. God, I hated both of them, but mostly him. I really like most of my I like had to focus my hatred on one to really get the proper amount. And uh he was the one I focused on. Um the other guy was just a fucking idiot. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um yeah. On that note, uh speaking of uh since we talked about I think we mentioned transfer stuff earlier. Um the Michael Bay first filmmaking decision oh yeah we did speaking of your uncle being a michael bay film yeah um i thought it was incredibly stupid to introduce us to mark by having him be upset with his girlfriend for not putting out and then immediately like basically leave her in the park and go to hollywood to score with like random chicks like this is our hero and already i'm like oh i fucking hate this guy what an asshole Weird, weird her for not for not giving for not having sex with him, and then later just not telling her that he hooked up elsewhere and her and turning it around so she she apologizes to him. Like, yeah, it's for and I I actually kind of at first when she was like, You don't think I I I want to either thing like oh yeah, you fucking tell him you go gore, you tell him like and like I don't look don't don't get me wrong, like I'm sure like when you're in a relationship for a while it can get frustrating if it's if one of you have decided to wait on sex, but guess what? Maybe have that discussion first in the beginning to avoid that fucking yeah. roadblock. And, and maybe follow Bill Burr's advice. Rub one out. Wait, you know, wait, wait till she's ready, and you know, then it'll be it'll be fine. But if you're gonna guilt somebody into having sex with you, you're kind of a bastard. Yeah, yeah. Look, like I said, first things first. Have that discussion, right? If she says, if like say you or more inside of like wanting it to be a part of like a healthy part of the relationship. But she says, I want to wait till the time's right or till we're married. You no, know, the people saw it there. Like there are people out there that still believe in that. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe have that discussion first. Cause obviously there's going to be issues. We don't agree on that. Now, if you do go on the same page of like, let's just, it's a part of a healthy sexual relationship, right? It's part of a healthy relationship. Like, yeah, go to Bill Burr. If she's not down that night, go rub one out, calm down, dude. And maybe just see if she's ready the next night. Champagne of victory, as he called it. Yeah, it's yeah. To me, it's just you know, if it's not if it's not what I think it was in Dexter, where De- like Dexter was dating a woman who was a abuse victim and didn't wasn't interested in sex, and he's a sociopath who doesn't care about physical affection, so it worked out. But um, she heals and wants to have sex with him. And he stops her and he says, is the way he manages to get out of this is he says, it has to be right for both of us or it won't be right for either of us. And that's actually very, very good advice for a healthy sex life. Like yeah. everyone has to be on board or nobody's going to be happy about this. Yeah. 
Because, yeah, look, trip. if it's a part, like, I think they established they've been in the relationship for, like, five, six, like, a crazy long time and haven't had sex. If it's that big of a deal, look, then you need to have a frank discussion with your significant other. Like, just, like, you're A, I, this is something I want to include in our relationship, or B, if not, you know, if it does get down to it, fucking break up with them. Like, it, I hate to, like, go to that extreme, but, like, if it's that important to you and you've been dating that long and it's clearly not happening, why stick around? If this is all I, you I, want, I, find it somewhere else. Yeah, like, I, I, I hate to make it, I know that sounds, like, cold and kind of callous, but I'm just, like... No, I think it's it's easier on the other person, you know, because the person who's not interested in sex might think like I have a future with this person. And then when we're married, we'll have, you know, we'll be able to do it. But if the other person is just in it to get laid and they have no emotional investment in this at all, it's best to just break it off and find someone cheap and easy. Yeah. At the end of the day, look, the nerve front for we're having a lot of lessons on this episode. Thanks, 80s film. Thanks, problematic 80s films. Um, be comfortable in what you want and who you are, what you want in a relationship, and be fucking honest and upfront at the beginning with the person you're meeting. I'm just gonna say significant other, you know, you know, you know, depending on what you're uh depending on what you're into, right? Your significant other that you're meeting, um, on what they expect out of the relationship, what they're what they want. So then you're on the same page, and from there. As long as you're on the same page and, you know, you can iron out details as you go along. Another beyond the bad fact right there. Yep. It's called being a damn adult. <laughs> Grow the fuck up and stay that way. Yes. Uh, heard it here first, folks. Look at this. And probably, we need to do more problematic 80s films. <laughs> Every time we go to the 80s, we always get one of these horrible to watch scenes that we have to, like, go into in depth to make sure that the audience doesn't know. Or doesn't think that we're assholes. Right? <laughs> Every time, man. Uh, for me, I went... I, I probably like the easy one on this one. Um, and that's that uh, this film has some 80s trademarks, which have aged terribly. Uh, two of which I've kind of mentioned. Obviously, the one right off the bat that I had to actually put down for the scene, and then I ended up not using it, but... Having that trans woman being used for a punchline. Casey was wondering because I know I mentioned this a lot. So in the scene, they go to Hollywood. They go to this this club that apparently you set at a table and there's a phone, and you for these discreet hookups, you call the other table and see if they're interested. I gotta say real quick, that is a brilliant concept for a singles club. I love that. Yeah, no, it's actually like a very cool concept. But uh, the friend calls one of the tables, right? And you never see who's sitting there at first and who he's talking to. And he's like, oh, I got this. And he walks over there. And when he sits down, you just see him. It's just the person behind him. But you start hearing the voice. And you're like, oh, God, don't. Please turn the movie's not going to do it. Turns out the person he thought was, a, in his head, a woman. Who, look, yes, is a woman. But going the 80s logic, right? Um, turns out to be a trans woman. Um, I believe, yeah, really trans woman be the right term. Um, is a is a trans woman, and he immediately gets repulsed and grossed out, and you know, hightails it out of there. Again, like I said with the shower scene, it's used as a punchline, which is like, god damn it. Um, and if there's been if there's a group that's been probably more marginalized in in any other group of the LGBTQIA plus community, it is the trans community. Unfortunately, they have. Dear God, has cinema not been kind to them? 
Um, yeah, because this is you know kind of the norm. It's this or you know anger management with Woody Harrelson, and it's always the you know the straight guy being repulsed by the idea that you know oh my god it's a man, and like it's such a tired and just terrible joke that just stop. Yeah, yeah, and in case anyone's wondering, when I mentioned it, with it, it pops up in Ace Ventura. So again, yes, I find the movie funny, but just be aware if you're going to go like oh, I want to check out some Jim Carrey. You know, everyone knows. You know, it's considered one of his gold standard comedies. There is a a a, a punchline involving a trans person in that film as well. Um, you know, what I noticed all of my favorite comedies still hold up with zero like problems. I, I hate that I have to defend some of my favorite. I'm like, God damn it! The only one that like comes close is Tropic Thunder, but even that is like okay because everyone kind of gets the joke. Yeah, I think uh, technically it's super bad also because of the abundant use of uh, the F uh, slur. And it's like, God damn it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it yeah. Oh boy. Um, so, you know, obviously that means the example. And then and I said, so I already mentioned the shower scene, but like you alluded to the ongoing jokes that immediately follow the shower scene when they're back in the ice cream van. Like it's almost like the film just for some weird reason doubles the fuck down and doesn't stop. and it starts getting point where I'm like please stop saying the joke please just move the fuck on you're only gay if you're gay that's it you can't become gay you can't be tricked into it you can't be cursed you're either gay or you're not you're either straight or you're not that's just how it works and I hate that movies have like some movies have kind of perpetuated the idea that you can like become gay by some situations like god damn no wonder people are so fucking confused yeah it's because like especially films like this they're like huh? like i said they're literally some going like oh my god does this mean we enjoyed it does this mean it's like <sighs> and if you are you know what congratulations get that dick yeah well, yeah and what like yeah if that has happened to you if like you had a late term revelation that you're gay by whatever right gender fluid uh gender you know all that all the different stuff um okay yeah he gives a shit why is it a big deal because go, go get that dick get that pussy go get what the fuck you want go get it the straight people still build the narrative and a lot of a lot of them are just afraid of change afraid of not being the power like at top you know at the top of the so you know quote unquote food chain i don't know it's the thing about it's power but you know that's not for now. Yeah, it, no, I know. Yeah, it. But yeah, that's that's why I put like just the fact that it does. Unfortunately, like, and I think I, I at least was like I knew eventually this kind of this kind of thing would pop up on one of these shows because there's plenty of our eighty films that will get covered on the show. Um, but I haven't used it yet. So I was like, fuck it, I'll use it on this one because dear God, especially when that shower that Josh shower scene was like the one I went. Oh boy. Um. So yeah, that's what I put. Um. But let's get a little positive. Let's let's kind of flip it. I know we've been kind of hammering home some stuff with this film. Uh, and let's talk about the silver lining. The one positive thing we can take away from the film. So what what did you put down? So we get a dream sequence where Jim Carrey is dressed as Dracula, and I was I was impressed with that. I'm like, that is a good makeup job. Like he could play a pretty convincing Dracula. <laughs> so I liked that bit because I was yeah I was impressed with that. Like I was just like literally one little bit. Yeah. Like, ah, neat. And then we go back to the train wreck. 
Yeah. Um, for me, I've actually, uh, mine's a little bit too. It's just a small bit. I put the dance off sequence between the Countess and Jim Carrey, and the reason I put it is because it is kind of a fun little diversion. Like it's a the film kind of has some fun here, but you get a hint of the physical comedy that would become trademark for Carrie. Like you see it here big time from like you said the light guitar to when he ends up on the ground and he pushes himself back up. Like you get some of that physical stuff that he would do later on, you know, moving forward. The soundtrack is so fucking on the nose in that scene. The, the song is like just hands off. He's mine. Like, are you kidding me? Oh yeah. It it's yeah. The soundtrack's so 80s, it's ridiculous. I think the once bitten song is in the movie like three times. <laughs> I wish it was, you know, the one thing I did like about the 80s, every single movie, regardless of genre, had its own theme song. And I wish okay. we still had that. They went hard on theme songs in the 80s. They really did. It was the it was beautiful. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, yeah, that, you know what? That's our server lining this, this week for the 80s is their soundtracks kicked ass. They went hard. Um, the 80s is like that super fun uncle you loved hanging out with and now you realize they believed in some horrific shit and it comes out at Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's that's the 80s. <laughs> you got those memories. Nothing's taken that away. But now you got to reevaluate some shit and maybe don't talk to him that much. <laughs> it's like when you hear the stories of people's grandparents using like the N-word or something. They have to be like, no, we don't say that. What are you saying? Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and they are and it's so funny so gen- they are just generally like wait but we used to like no we don't use that anymore grandma it's not okay oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah um with that uh let's, let's go ahead and close out the awards and move on to our last fun filled segment of the evening and that is what's in the box I don't know if you heard. I know you listened to our episode on uh, seven on Oscar Sunday, where I can't. This show has ruined seven for me because I can't hear the phrase "What's in the box" without thinking of shitty letterbox reviews. So thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. Hey, look, I've done two things. Apparently, I've brought questions into our various other shows. I'm waiting for Austin to adopt it for Oscar Sunday. I'm just waiting for my influence to bleed into there. Um, and uh, apparently I have now ruined seven for you. And you know what? I'm cool with that. I figured you would be. Uh, once bitten, sitting at a 2.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So around the, around the same zone we tend to tend to grab from on this show. Uh, yeah. I think our, our lowest is still, I think it's Green Lantern, which is like 1.6 or something. God, yeah, I, I yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping next year I've I've done the first half, but there's some stuff I'm keeping in mind that I'm hoping to finally break and get as low as we can on that letter on that letterbox. Now it's becoming a personal thing. Like, how low can I get on letterbox? <laughs> uh, I don't know what the lowest reviewed. I know what the, the highest reviewed film I think is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has like a four point eight out of five or something. Oh, I gotta yeah. find the lowest film. I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna find. it. I definitely contributed to everything ever all at once. I think I gave that thing like a four and a half or five on my fucking letterbox. I fucking that was love awesome. that movie. That was awesome. 
Uh, well, here are five reviews of Once Bitten that I hope will make you laugh. This first one's from AI. I know he was turning into a vampire, but Mark based his whole personality off a bitch he fucked for a week. And if that doesn't say anything about teenagers, then I don't know what does. <laughs> Ooh, attack of the youth culture there. <laughs> uh, that was three stars and a heart. Doesn't really add up to that, does it? I hate when people give it like a one star and then a heart. I'm like, that what? Or like it's three paragraphs of this movie can burn in hell and it's like four stars. Like mixed messages, people. Jesus. Uh this next one. This is why dating in the 21st century with the dating app sucks. Go on. This is from Jane Likes Movies. I'm noticing now that uh it says down here like liked by, and it gives you a list of people who liked your review. Liked by Jane Likes Movies. <laughs> We got a narcissist here. God damn it. This movie has everything. Vampire MILF titties. Twink Jim Carrey. A dance-off that has no right being as good as it is. A gay vampire chauffeur and a theme song that bops. Also, it ends with them fucking in a casket. Three stars and a heart. I'm glad that you were able to find something that fulfills your very specific criteria for a good movie. I know. And I also love how, like, how highly he talked about it and then it was like three stars. I'm like, that's not like a four or five star review you just gave it, dude. <laughs> yeah, odd. Uh, this next one's from Degoro Pagano. Jim Carrey not being weird is actually quite weird. Two stars. <laughs> I will say, because it's a comedy, I will warn anyone that is somehow so interested in seeing this film. Don't expect the Jim Carrey you know in comedies. This is first film is a very subdued Jim Carrey. Like it, it does take a minute for you to be like, oh shit, this is not dumb and dumber. Like you know, liar liar Jim Carrey. I'm getting very true. Keep that in mind. Next one's from Mike. Uh, sorry, Mike Rapano. Mike Rapano. Jim Carrey gets bitten by a vampire and turns into Jim Carrey. Two and a half stars. <laughs> yeah. 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 and this last one was my favorite this is from matthew this movie feels like fright night's homophobic older brother two and a half stars (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah fright night is this but so much better yeah and i off the top of my head nothing problematic about that film and it also came out in the 80s 85 same year as this 85 was the year of the oddball vampire horror comedy well, so the the lesson here on this one is that you can make an unproblematic film from the past if you just avoid certain things. You just have some heart, some goddamn soul, good screenwriting talent. It's actually not hard. <laughs> you just gotta give a shit. Yeah, and then don't blow your entire like uh, earnings on whatever you blow it on, and you're working at a video store instead. Mm-hmm. Love Friday Night. I love Friday Night. Oh, Friday Night's great. That's see, that's a good vampire movie. That's the best vampire movie. My favorite vampire movie. That's a good one. That's a real good one. Um, that was good. Was that the last one? That, is, that the was the last one. That's what's in the box. I like that. That was a good one. And Friday Night's homophobic. Oh, that was good. That was good. I like that. Um, well, that is our show, so let's go ahead and wrap up and go what happens on our next week and the rest of our shows. Uh, before I do that, again, let's wrap it up with our social media stuff. So you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at our film guys on productions. 
If you want to shoot us a recommendation, feel free to email us at filmguys.gmail.com. I have ran out the first half of 2023, but it is still open to have things change. So if you have anything that I can uh, do instead, I am willing open to that. Um, if you'd like to donate and support us in that way, you can find us on Anchor. And finally, feel free to get on our site, filmgasm.com, for reviews, shows, articles, and all of our episodes. With that, as I alluded to earlier, because this one, I again, looks like we're safe on where it's located. We should be fine to watch it. In a reversal of the phone being hard to get, but um, the information for it, endless resources. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at one of the most well-known colossal disasters in holiday specials history. <laughs> the Star Wars holiday special. Not the Lego one on Disney+, Plus, folks. The original from 1978 or 9. I can't remember the year off the top of my head. Uh, the, the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah. The abomination that got cranked out in between A New Hope and Empire back when Star Wars was this hot new thing, and they were trying to capitalize it, capitalize on it any way they could. They roped the original cast into this travesty, and it aired one time, and George Lucas has been trying to purge it from the face of the earth ever since. But every once in a while, it ends up on YouTube in its entirety, where it is at the moment, and we are going to finally watch this thing and just have a ball. Hey, oh boy, what an episode. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Oh, I'm having to mentally prep for this one. Uh, on on Filmgas, and also we're doing it because it's the holiday season and it's festive. So there we go. It's festive. Happy Life Day, everybody. Yeah. If you guys haven't noticed, we have to get festive a little differently here and be on the bad. <laughs> And it's not the only festival we have on the, on the schedule. We got more. Don't worry. Uh, on Filmgasm, we are continuing that festiveness. But this time with a good movie. Um, when we look at a more recent entry in Yuletide Horror, uh, better watch out. Um, you said you haven't seen it before. I can attest to having seen it and saying it is really, really good. Um, I continue to not know much about the plot. I know I listened to the... Sorry, I know you said you didn't look too much in the plot. Keep it that way. Because there's some reveals and stuff that works so much better when you don't know what the hell's going on. So perfect, I, exactly. Yeah. What I'm good. Um, like I said, I've seen a really, really good film. It. The only thing I'll tell you is that it's the 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 actors from the visit that played brother and sister. Um, they are back. It's them again. Um, in the movie. Um, and it's it's really good. I really liked it. It's like a fucked up home loans. Most I'll say. Sweet, great. Um. And on Oscar Sunday, uh, they'll be looking at the Italian drama film Bicycle Thieves. Yeah. Yes, we will. Yes. I don't <laughs> have much more. I was actually trying to see what else I could put, but I was like, I all I got is that. It was up for a screenplay and won an honorary award for Best Foreign Film before that category was formally uh, added to the awards. And uh, we're going to tackle some of the director's other films, kind of just create a, a discussion about Italian dramas and this director so yeah it'll be a be an interesting one. Hell yeah um well i can't exactly talk about my knowledge on italian drama i do love me some italian horror dear god i love me some italian horror films 
We've uh, we've also got a uh, another fake true stories coming at you pretty soon. Um, Isabel and I are going to be tackling the uh, 1992 baseball dramedy A League of Their Own and looking into the uh, true story behind the uh, All American uh, Women's Baseball League in the 1940s and 50s. So, oh, oh, yeah. either next week or the week after. Oh yeah, that should be uh, that should be a good one. And yeah, I look forward to listening to that one. Um, since you guys talked about the history and less about the movie, I actually can listen to those episodes even if I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> nice. Um, until then, when trying to lose your opportunity, first off, just wait for your girlfriend to be comfortable or boyfriend or whatever. Um, but if you are going to the extreme of cheating to do it, make sure to not get yourself involved with centuries-old Countess Vampire. See you all next week on Beyond the Bad. A version, ah, oh, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs>